I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film and occasionally a video game. Today we're talking about my favorite video game series, BioWare's Mass Effect Trilogy, released in 2007, 2010, and 2012. I'm joined today by part of the Beyond the Screenplay team, Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayanos. Hi. And our guest today is the creator of the YouTube channel Game Makers Toolkit, which focuses on game design and features some of the very best video essays you will find on YouTube. Mark Brown, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And th- thanks for saying that. It's very nice. Oh, of course. So we're here to talk about Mass Effect because it's kind of like tis the season of Mass Effect, right? The remaster, the legendary edition launches on May 14th on our game analysis channel story mode. We recently made a video about the Cure the Genophage mission and Mass Effect 3. We have an upcoming LFTS video about Mass Effect. Lots of Mass Effect things happening. But Mark, before all this, last June, you released an excellent epic video called Commanding Shepard, all about the protagonist of the Mass Effect games. Uh, it's 53 minutes long, it's much longer than most of your videos. And so I'm excited to kind of use that as a way in to talk about Mass Effect. But first, I want to hear about why you started Game Maker's Toolkit. I looked and your first video was November of 2014. And I think it's fair to say that if every frame of painting is like the grandfather of film video essays, mm-hmm. Game Maker's Toolkit is the grandfather of game video essays so for sure yeah how and why did you start the channel yeah i mean definitely every frame painting was an influence on me and now hopefully i've influenced some other channels so it's all sort of in that same absolutely uh, nice sort of run um i used to be a traditional games journalist i you know wrote for magazines and websites and the bit about it that i always enjoyed the most was talking about game design and i was interviewing developers that was all i would ask them about um, and those are like the features i'd always want to write it was just kind of a case of seeing the writing on the wall a bit for people reading about video games people were turning more to youtube and at some point towards you know twitch and stuff like that people were wanting to just sort of veg out and and watch stuff being having on their computer instead of having to actively use their eyes to read and i'm like i've got to get in on that otherwise i might like not have a career at some point yeah for a while i thought that the way to make content about games on youtube was to like play horror games and like scream at things like PewDiePie. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't really suit me. But then seeing stuff like every frame of painting and being like, you don't have to be on camera. You can talk about like the craft of how things are made. You can like tie it nicely together in just like a sort of 10 minute thing. And it's like a magazine feature, but in a, a video form, like this is great. I could do this. Gave it a try, really enjoyed it. And just like, I thought I could probably do this for like another year. And now it's like, seven years later and I'm still doing it, <laughs> but still really enjoying it as well. So that's, that's the main thing. Good. Yeah. That's always important. Yeah. It's, it's really great because, um, there, especially with video games, it's so interesting. You have these GDC talks that are four hours of someone talking about right angles or something. You're like, that's interesting, <laughs> but good God, like that's so, you know, so granular. And then the other side of like video game YouTube is like you said, Mark, just people yelling and <laughs> saying, you know, this game sucks and here's why or whatever, you know, just sort of like this very casual, uh, you know, low production kind of thing. And, and something we try to do and which you absolutely nail with Game Makers Toolkit is finding that perfect balance between the two where it's like like let's take all this information and then let's distill it down to something that is entertaining and informative and and yeah you knock it out of the park every time so thank you for your channel thank you 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like it, it's been an influence on me, of course, and lessons from the screenplay. And it's just that idealized, you know, it's short, it's sweet, it's smart, it's fun. It's everything that I want from a video on, mm-hmm. on the internet. Let's talk about Commanding Shepherd because this was a little bit of a departure for you. Like I said, most of your videos are sort of in the like eight to 12 minute range ish. And this one was a mega video. So what drove you to dive into so deep, I guess, into Commander Shepard and Mass Effect? What did you what did you want to get out of it? It was quite interesting because it didn't really start the way it ended, which I'm sure you know is like how videos often happen. <laughs> but the idea was to sort of spoil an upcoming chat is that I'd never actually played the Mass Effect trilogy before I'd started this. Um, but I'd heard that there's this cool thing in Mass Effect where decisions you make in one game will then ripple out into future ones. I'm like, that sounds like a cool video idea to sort of graph that out or something to talk about it. And so I started like having a spreadsheet and I was playing through the game uh, like multiple times, different save games and sort of charting all this stuff out. But kind of came to the realization that that wasn't the most interesting thing about Mass Effect for me. It was this idea of the protagonist and how that works was more interesting. So I kind of shifted to that. But I just playing those games, there's so much going on in them, especially, you know, a whole trilogy of games and massive RPGs. There was just so much to talk about that it felt like... I, I wanted to do something a bit more epic and to really go in deep and it's like split into multiple sections and stuff. Um, and it just felt like, yeah, there was, there was a lot of things I wanted to cover. And there's stuff I had to like leave on the cutting room floor that I desperately wanted to talk about, but just didn't really fit. Like I had this whole thing about the whole Mass Effect 2 ending, which I just thought was amazing, but couldn't fit that in. So it was just like as much as I could possibly get on this topic in, a, in one big video. It goes by quickly because, I mean, Mass Effect, as you're saying, is this big trilogy. There's so much to talk about. And sort of the kind of central focus of the video is this idea of like what kind of a game protagonist is Shepard. And it's something that we on Story Mode did a video on Horizon Zero Dawn. And we got to talk to John Gonzalez, the narrative lead on that. And he brought up these terms that I hadn't heard before of, of authored protagonist and player shaped whole. And so in Horizon Zero Dawn, he was talking about how Aloy is an author protagonist where she has her own story and, and backstory and you can't really change who she is. There's games like Fallout New Vegas where you're playing, you're kind of entering this player-shaped hole and you have this ultimate freedom. And as you point out, Mass Effect and Commander Shepard is kind of exactly in the middle. It's this kind of weird hybrid in between that I think works really well. And so I'm kind of curious to hear from everyone, but maybe starting from you, Mark, like what do you like this kind of hybrid protagonist like what's your ideal rpg protagonist yeah i mean it's it's interesting because before mass effect came out rpg protagonists did kind of fall on one of those two bits of the spectrum you'd either have something like there's very much in the tabletop role-playing mold if you make the character however you want and it's like looks however you want and act however you want and it can be good or evil whatever it's you know based on sort of dungeons and dragons or on the opposite side more from the japanese rpg stuff you'd have you know cloud from final fantasy is just like this predefined character he is who he is and it's entirely um done and then in 2007, we got two games, Mass Effect and, and The Witcher, these two games of like somewhere in the middle where with Commander Shepard, it's like their personality is somewhat defined in that they, they are a hero, but then you can decide what kind of hero they are and they have a last name. You can choose their first name and, mm-hmm. you know, there's lots of things that is that are very defined and some things that are not. It is an interesting thing because there are obviously advantages and disadvantages to both a uh, 
uh, player-shaped hole in the author protagonist. You know, an author protagonist can be very sort of central to the the, the role of, in the game. You know, they they are an actual character, whereas the player-shaped hole kind of is just an avatar or a cipher, and you don't really sort of hear from them. They don't. They're not like an iconic character, whereas someone like Aloy or Nathan Drake or whatever is like can be on the box and is this person. But then there are you know massive advantages to have being able to do create your own character of like being able to shape the story however you want and being able to make any decision you want. Mass Effect, it's interesting because it just sort of, Bioware almost struggled at times to find the right balance between those two things and found that they were like stumbling in the wrong direction. But when it really works, especially in, you know, bits of Mass Effect 2 and some of the best bits of Mass Effect 3, you really get that thing of like, you are a character in this world and people know Commander Shepard and you are this iconic, interesting character, but then you also get to shape it in your own way and everyone's Shepard is different and everyone's experience is different. So I think it works out really well for me because I do like some aspects of of the authored and some aspects of the um uh, you know make your own character and i think it does like fit a nice sort of central role yeah it kind of when it when it works like you're saying it's a little bit of like the best of both worlds mm. alex I'm, I'm curious to hear from you and your experience with rpgs and how you related to this aspect of mass effect yeah i, I think i definitely discovered through mass effect that this is my favorite on that spectrum, I really enjoy what Mass Effect achieved because a lot of what I like in gaming is actually carrying over from cinema or television. Like I, I kind of come into games as wanting like a cinematic experience, which is not where other people come into games, but I'm kind of a gamer second to those other forms of entertainment. And so Mass Effect was this amazing experience. I do like RPG games. I liked, you know, Knights of the Old Republic. I enjoyed Skyrim. I, I do like just more classic RPG experiences. But what really excites me is when I can have like the emotional catharsis that I would get only from a TV show with like a beloved cast of characters that I fall in love with or my favorite film trilogies like The Lord of the Rings. If I for the first time had that experience in a game and I think it's because of this mixed semi-authored, semi player-shaped whole protagonist. I haven't yet had another gaming experience quite like it since Mass Effect. And I'm, I'm kind of waiting for more. And I'm, I'm excited they're working on a new Mass Effect game that's going to be back in the Milky Way because maybe they can pull it off again. Yeah, I, I, I've never had the experience of both having that, you know, I feel an authorship over my character. I can kind of bend the story, romance who I want. And yet it's like a cinematic enough experience to give me the emotions that usually only film or television can. And I think that's really the benefit of, of that perfect in-between space that Mass Effect sits in. Yeah, I, I think I'm similar in that that's, I think, what really grabbed me. And it was weird the first time I, you know, so I played this when I was in college, the first Mass Effect. And I was, we had an off-campus apartment and in one end of the hall was my room where I was playing Mass Effect. And the other end of the hall was my roommate's where he was playing Mass Effect. And it was weird anytime we would go and like see what the other person was doing because their shepherd would appear and we would both be like, wait, that's not what Commander Shepherd looks like. <laughs> and it was like disturbing. <laughs> so there is enough authorship happening that it, it's strange to see somebody else's shepherd, at least early on. But like you're saying, Alex, it does afford these kind of more narrative experiences. Brian, I know, so you recently played Mass Effect for the first time, but you've also, you're you're like our Fallout expert. So I'm curious to just kind of hear all of your thoughts on the Shepard version of protagonist and things you like or don't like about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I like all three points in this spectrum and, you know, any other point sort of somewhere in there too. Um, 
I love my favorite games are like the Elder Scrolls and Fallout games. And that's has so much to do, though, with like the aesthetic of the world and just being able to step into the, that player shaped hole. And I don't even care who the protagonist in, is in those games. I'm just like, this isn't me. And I'm running around this world mm-hmm. and then maybe I'll play the game again and decide, well, now my character is, you know, this gender and ha- makes these choices based on this philosophy or something where you can start to role play a little. But ultimately, I don't have a huge emotional connection with those games uh, or I, I don't have an emotional connection to that protagonist that I've created. Probably it's they're just they're there or they feel like they are me or something. And then you have something like Last of Us or Horizon Zero Dawn where you where you have this huge emotional connection with these characters but they do feel like they are at a distance they are there and you are here and you are sort of watching a movie where you get to play the action scenes to to some extent you know and then i think that is what works so beautifully about mass effect is is just as alex was saying you do get the best of both worlds you get to experience this other character who has a backstory and has a name and um has a job and a title and all this kind of stuff, which means you get to have that emotional connection uh, to them, but you also are in in charge of them to some extent. You get to decide how they go and what choices they make and that kind of thing. So by the end of a story or a game or the whole trilogy, you're like, oh, this is my personal shepherd who has their own personal relationship to Garrus and, you know, to Tali and whatever. And the things that happened to, to me didn't happen to everybody else. So I feel like I watched from a distance this story unfold, but I personally hands-on got to have a huge say in how it unfolded. Uh, and I think it just works really well. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So Mark and your video, you also talk about how, you know, one of the, the, there's kind of this tension in the Mass Effect games around Shepard as far as being a a hero and you kind of have to be a hero and that kind of limits some of some of that um you know the agency that the player you know can can enforce on the character can you talk more just about about that and kind of the limitations that come with that as far as like the kinds of stories that you maybe can or can't tell with a protagonist that's kind of in this hybrid mode yeah sure i mean so before mass effect came out the idea of a morality system was in games and previous bioware games like knights still republic but it was very much like a super wide thing of you could be like really good you could be really evil you could be a jedi or a sith are you gonna put out the fire in a orphanage or are you gonna throw on more gasoline (laughs) like it's you get to just do any of those things but then mass effect comes along and it's like commander shepherd is the hero and they're going to save the galaxy and you don't ever get to choose to like side with the bad guys and wipe out humanity. It's just like off the table. There is a smaller bandwidth of what you can choose. That doesn't necessarily have to be a massive limitation. It just means you have to think about choices in the game in a, in a slightly different way of it's not good or evil. It's like you're always good, but are you doing things in a compassionate and law abiding uh, and sort of generous way or are you doing it more of a selfish um, more like collateral damage sort of you know whatever gets the job done kind of way um, and again it's one of those things of like when it works in Mass Effect it works really well where you're just like am I gonna do something that is maybe a little bit 
morally ambiguous, but I know I'm doing it for the right reasons down the road, but I'm kind of like having to kind of bend the, the rules a bit now. That's kind of the more renegade side of things, or are you going to be more of a sort of goody two shoes, sort of proper paragon of humanity? There are other times in Mass Effect, especially in Mass Effect 1, where I personally felt that it, Bioware kind of broke that a little bit and let Commander Shepard do things that are just kind of reprehensible. Um, like the, the classic example for me is there's like you're in this colony and there's these people who have been mind controlled by some bad guy and you're given these gas grenades that you can use to knock them out. And Commander Shepard can just be like, no, nah, I'll just go kill them all. And they're like, please, like save our friends. All you got to do is just use these gas grenades. And Shepard's like, no, nah, that's fine. I'll just go kill them. And you have to play it in the gameplay. You just wipe them out. Um, and it's like that, that would be fine in, in Fallout or something because it's you know designed to be around like that. But because Commander Shepard has always got to be the hero, they kind of just have to like hand wave those away or mm. like quickly like have you've reprimanded by the alliance for like 10 seconds and then you're back to being the good guy again. Sometimes um, I felt like the renegade path, especially Mass Effect 1, felt just a bit weird because it, it felt like sometimes you were just being evil and that just didn't really suit the character. But down the line in Mass Effect 2 and 3, they, they, I, felt like they found, they, I felt like they found better ways of doing this, of making it more sort of morally ambiguous of, uh, you know, are you playing someone like, you know, the, the examples uh, Bioway would give of being like Captain Kirk or Jack Bauer from 24 of like, you know, Jack Bauer is ostensibly a good guy. He's working for the, the right side, but some of his methods are questionable. <laughs> I think it's also like a really interesting thing for games to explore because I don't know about you guys, but like when there is that opportunity to be good or evil in games, like I pretty much always pick good. I just feel mm -hmm. really horrible being an evil person. I rarely find it to be like an interesting choice, but some but in um, later parts of Mass Effect, there are times where I'm like, I don't think being good's right here. Like, I think that might backfire on me. And like, even though I feel a bit crappy doing this, I think I'm going to have to like choose the renegade path because I think that's actually going to be like the better option. And that's that's like a more interesting question to be asked. Like, yeah, I, I agree. I was going to ask if you tended toward Paragon or Renegade <laughs> when you when you play these things because I also tend toward Paragon. But I do think the the most compelling moments for me are when it isn't just good or bad, and, and you kind of point some of these out in your video. But when it is sort of you're put in this crazy situation and there are no good choices or bad choices it's just you're there's a dilemma how are you going to try to solve this dilemma yeah i um a lot of times like i said when i play a uh, an RPG, I do sort of play the first time through as, you know, a white guy who makes the decisions that I would more or less make. <laughs> but with Shepard, I, first of all, I knew I wanted to play uh, Femshek because you guys talked about just Jennifer Hale being <laughs> so amazing and I'm so glad I did. But I also just sort of felt like there was going to be a little bit of a disconnect there in the sense that it isn't this player-shaped hole. So just right off the bat, when you choose your sort of uh, your character and your backstory, I made her like ruthless and I can't remember everything I did, but I, I just gave her enough of like um, an edge and I just decided she's always going to do the right thing, but she may have a different way of going about it than a, a true paragon would, you know? So then it was fun. And even if like, I understand the best way to play the game, quote unquote, objectively is to like only go paragon or only go renegade, or at least in some of the games. But for me, I was like, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in, in each moment deciding what I think is this character's way of dealing with the situation you know i think it's fascinating uh mark you point out in your video there's one moment or probably more than one moment where the paragon or renegade option says the exact same thing like the shepherd has the exact same response and i was thinking that's bad from a game design standpoint but from a player standpoint i still press that right trigger or i still press <laughs> that left trigger so like i still made a choice to sort of 
handle the situation in a certain way, even if the game was like, doesn't really matter what choice you make, the same thing is going to happen. I'm like, yeah, but that still has a slight little tinge of shaping my own personal experience, which I think is really fascinating. And, you know, you don't know the first time you're playing through. <laughs> of course. <laughs> what you're right. missing. Until you play it through like four times like I have. So I know every <laughs> right. single thing that can happen. <laughs> well, it's interesting kind of going off what you were saying, Brian. Um, I was thinking about how my first playthrough, I kind of do the same thing where it's like a blackish male that is going to make Paragon choices like what I would do. And then the second time I played, uh, I went Femship and went Hardcore Renegade. There was almost like a, a freedom that I feel in this kind of like I think if I were playing a Fallout and it was a player shaped hole, I would feel much more like moral responsibility to make good choices. Mm. But because there is a little bit of distance, I can say, well, I'm not this femship. Like I'm going to help kind of create her and she's going to do things that I can't and I wouldn't, but I think are right for her. And so by, by creating this distance, it kind of frees me up to be more experimental with some of my playing in a way that I think I, I wouldn't be in a like a first person narrative like i'm i'm replaying cyberpunk right now mm. and i'm trying to do things differently and opposite and kind of be evil and i'm gonna kill people even if i don't need to but i still feel guilty because i'm still looking at it through the window of like quote unquote my eyes mm -hmm. i think it's interesting because there's something about the third person perspective and especially once you get to mass effect two and three it feels like it's shot like a film you know the 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 dialogue scenes have camera choreography and uh, you really do feel like you're almost more like a co-writer of a screenplay that's happening live. You know, it's not as much. It's me. It's my eyes. It's what I'm physically doing right now. It's, oh, this is my story. I'm, I'm, I'm co-authoring this story. And, you know, once again, coming from that, that film and television perspective and being a huge sci-fi fan, that was one of the great joys of Mass Effect was getting to essentially have like a small co-authorship role in this otherwise amazing like space opera. And and there's there's a different kind of pleasure that comes from that because yeah, there's not as much there's a different level of pressure than yeah, the I'm looking out here, I can see the machete in my hand that I'm about to kill this like child with. You know, like it's <laughs> it's different when you're in a Fallout game doing an awful thing from that first person perspective. Uh mm -hmm. and, and I and I like the kind of co-writing feeling of Mass Effect. You're talking about kind of how the later games are more cinematic and it's, it sounds like I was maybe the only one that played the first Mass Effect when it came out mm. on the Xbox 360. And I remember it blowing my mind at the time how crazy good the graphics were and that it was <laughs> shot at all like a movie where there's a shot reverse shot happening and you could see the character's mouth moving with the dialogue like. I hadn't seen a game really do that before in this kind of like RPG thing where it was like, that's my shepherd that's talking. This isn't a cutscene. It's it's blah. Mm -hmm. And so it was cool then seeing that evolution where in two and three, the camera moves got more complex and the framing got more interesting. And so it was fun to watch that evolution happen for me. I'm curious for you guys that have played it later, you know, Mark and Brian, especially that came in, you know, much more recently, how the game holds up in that in that way and how you feel like it is it hard to play through because it feels old or do you feel like it's it's close enough you know to what modern games have become that it, it still works i did play mass effect one when it first came out on xbox 360 for like an hour and i just thought <laughs> this is like just this horrible gears of war clone what is this and just completely <laughs> bounced off it for like years and then came back and mass effect ones is uh, 
still, I mean, people are going to play the legendary edition, which has been like massively tweaked. Mass Effect 1 is really hard to play. And I think it's just not like just in terms of the actual gameplay, especially like the little um, robot uh, Mako thing is just like hideous, yeah. like, hor- yeah. horrible thing to play. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to get through Mass Effect 1, I feel. But then Mass Effect 2 is the like, like the biggest jump in quality, I think, a franchise has ever had. Mass Effect 2 is amazing. Absolutely. Uh, and then Mass Effect 3, you know, it's also very good. It has its, its wobbles and stuff. But yeah, Mass Effect 2, I felt, just plays like a really good game. And it's beautifully shot. And the light, like the lighting in that game, I mean, I played mm. it on PC and like the settings as max as possible. But it's just some of those places that feel, they feel like a really like packed club full of aliens. There's probably only like 10 aliens walking around, but it feels like you're like in this like proper club, just completely surrounded by weird looking <laughs> goons. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I found it like really enjoyable to play even in 2020, I bet. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I was very impressed. Yeah, I had, I had a similar experience. Um, I had Mass Effect 2. I bought it because my friend was, you know, raving about it. Uh, and I tried to play it on PS3. And I played like an hour or two and just thought, I, I don't know if I'm into this. I think I had a friend visiting and we, we had like a stack of half a dozen video games. We're like, let's just find something that's actually going to hook us and get into it. And that's not how mass effect is by design to be like look you're you're so into it already so i just kind of never continued uh but i'm so glad that i didn't because then when i finally got my computer up to snuff uh like two years ago then i was able to play properly pc all three games same save file mass effect 3 extended all dlcs and i was so happy that i was able to play the game for the first time sort of proper and actually experience that whole thing i let a few months pass in between games, but basically over the course of maybe a year and a half, I, I got the full experience. And uh, and I loved it. I was really surprised, other than, yeah, something like the Mako, like you said, Mark. Uh, I was really surprised with how accessible it was for me not having that old nostalgia to it and that kind of thing. You know, I understand if you try to play Fallout New Vegas for the first time right now, you're going to be like, this is, you know, what is this? Um, <laughs> and plenty of games have that where it's like, if you didn't play it the first time around, you're you're going to have a hard time getting into it. And yeah, once I got into the gameplay and everything, I just thought everything looked beautiful and was able to just really enjoy the combat, really enjoy the RPG-ness of it. I was actually surprised in Mass Effect 2 when it wasn't the same, you know, you choose each weapon and you upgrade it and decide who gets what. It's just sort of like, you got a new weapon, you're upgraded, enjoy. Which is just a fascinating thing we can get into about how the games juggle those RPG elements, you know? But ultimately, I was really happy that I was able to get what felt like a personal experience to me that didn't feel like I was coming into this thing super late where everybody else, I don't have a 14-year love affair with it the way other people do but the way you watch a tv show 20 years later and you're like this w- might have been cool to watch then but now i just sort of feel like i'm doing it to do homework i felt <laughs> like i was playing a game that just felt like very current and personal to me in a way that was really really satisfying and surprising for something i thought it was going to be like okay i should play this to play it but i didn't play it back then so i'm not going to enjoy it the same way other people do and i felt like i really was able to get my my own personal mass effect well, I'm I'm so excited that they've put in the work to revamp Mass Effect 1 in the Legendary Edition because I played it just a few years after it came out. And even at that point, it was feeling dated to me. Like the gameplay, and I was playing on an Xbox 360. And so you know, the frame rate was very uneven. And it was sometimes just a chore to get through some areas of combat and didn't just didn't feel fun all the time. By the end of the story, like the story elements had paid off for me and the epic, you know, Battle of the Citadel, I was I was hooked into the story world by the end of the game. So I was excited for Mass Effect 2. And then Mass Effect 2 wowed me in all these other departments. It's been hard to recommend 
the trilogy to people who are not going to have the patience to deal with the some of the clunkiness of Mass Effect 1's uh, gameplay. And so now I can finally, any gamer friend who has not played Mass Effect, I can finally say, get the Legendary Edition, finally play it. <laughs> you can finally know why I've been obsessed all these years. And it's just kind of a relief to to be able to give somebody the whole experience and not be like, maybe start at two and then read up <laughs> on what happened in one, because I think you're not going to get through one. Um, and I know, Michael, you feel very differently because you, you've always been like a hardcore Mass Effect 1 fan. But it it, it was really hard for me to get into the gameplay, uh, even back then. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe I'll just rant briefly so that I never have to do this again. <laughs> but it, it was just as someone who played the first game at least three times before Mass Effect 2 came out. Like by the end, I really liked a lot of the gameplay in the original Mass Effect. And it was such a change between one and two, like they added ammo and they kind of watered down some of the RPG elements. And some of it was good because managing your inventory was super annoying in the original Mass Effect, but it was still fun to get to upgrade this or that. And it was much more simplified, I felt, in Mass Effect 2. So as like a hardcore OG fan, I felt a little bit betrayed. And you don't get to hang out with like half of your crew that you fell in love with. And the first one, they're just like sidelined, like you see Ashley for five minutes. And then she's like, I'm a bounce because you're evil now. And it's like, that wasn't my fault. Like, I don't want to be doing this. I want my old crew back. That, that's a good example in the Commanding Shepherd video of there is a frustration in that in that scene where you meet Ashley or Caden, and it has no effect really whether or not you romance them or if you had a really deep relationship with them, they reject you no matter what in that scene. And and that was frustrating, I remember, in Mass Effect 2. Like, okay, that's it? Like, that's all we get? You're going to just, after all that, in Mass Effect 1, just this one scene and bye. Like, I felt like I was being punished for loving the, the first game. But <laughs> yeah. Mass Effect 2. Like, during that that sequence, I'm, like, screaming at my television, like, it's not, I'm not doing this for, there's good reasons why I'm doing this. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I can't express myself through these dialogue options. And it's just <laughs> nothing you can do can change their mind. I'm like, it's for a good reason, I promise. Right. <laughs> I had an interesting uh, version of that, because, Mark, you point out in your video that it's almost like a romantic comedy three-act structure. But I let Caden live for some reason. Uh, in the first game because Ashley was like so racist and just, I was like you know what and and she's like please 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 you know like I'll go I'll go and like fine if that's what you want that's what you want and then I've got this like creepy dude hitting on me for the rest of the game who I'm like have no interest in so I'm just like shut up get off like I don't want to talk to you why are you alive why is it you know so then in the second game when we have that when we have that interaction you guys are talking about I was like yeah I don't care go away like, you, you can <laughs> right. stay here but then in the third game, you then have this nice reconciliation. And it was like, oh, what an interesting like three-act structure that I had with this character now mm. because I sort of didn't care about them. But then by the third game, we sort of were like, you know what? We're on good terms. We're going to go our separate ways, but we're going to leave as friends. And that's really cool. And I just love how this trilogy of games allows you to experience this you know, arc with this uh, one of these characters. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There are so many stories 
you know, we've all played Mass Effect, but we all had a different experience. And so it's always fun to hear, you know, Brian let Caden live. So he didn't get to know Ashley. Mm-hmm. When my girlfriend played, Rex was being a dick in the first game. And so she shot him. And so she didn't have Rex for the whole, which is right. like unfathomable to me. And so all, <laughs> like all these different permutations. So I'm curious, Mark, if this plugs in at all too, you mentioned there was stuff that you had to cut from your video and how you want to talk about Mass Effect 2. What were some of the things you wanted to talk about in Mass Effect 2? The main thing just being uh, the ending, which I think is like one of the most bold and audacious video game mm-hmm. endings. Um, and it's like an incredible feat of engineering that any, like, I think, yeah, every single character can die in that yeah. ending. Like for one thing, it's there's like a thousands of permutations of what could happen so it really goes into that thing of like everyone's game is different you can speak to a hundred people and they'd all have a completely different set of characters who live through the end of mass effect 2 i also like how it really fits the sort of theme of the game of like we're preparing for a suicide mission and it's about getting your team together and making sure that people have sorted out their emotional baggage before they come on this mission. The thing I really like about the ending is that if you are role-playing as like a good commander of your ship, you look after your crew, you look after your ship, and you do things in a timely fashion, you will come out well. Whereas if you are not being a good commander, then you will have a very bad time in the ending. Um, And so it really rewards players who are being thoughtful and are putting themselves in the shoes of Commander Shepard and thinking, what would a good captain do in this in this role? And like, Morden wants me to do something. I'm going to go out and help him. And we're going to like, because he's my friend and he's my crewmate and I look after them. So that I, I just works really well for me. The only problem I think it has is that it paints Bioware into this horrible corner for Mass Effect 3 where loads of characters could be dead. And there are like amazing emotional moments in Mass Effect 3 that could just not happen for a lot of people if mm-hmm. characters like Rex, who could have died in Mass Effect 1, could and like uh, and Morden, who could die in Mass Effect 2, like for the whole Genophage mission, could be completely undercut, like the amazing things that happen and the, the Tally and Legion thing. It's just kind of a shame that some of the best stuff in Mass Effect 3 is like undercut by some of the best stuff in Mass Effect 2, but I suppose you kind of have to have, you kind of have to have both. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like the suicide mission is the kind of thing you end a trilogy with. Yeah. Where you're like, well, now we can do this because <laughs> yeah. then we don't have to clean up afterwards. Right. <laughs> so the fact that they were able to make Mass Effect 3 at all, really, <laughs> you know, the fact they were able to make a game that does sort of respond to all the things that could have happened is impressive. And uh, and yeah, like you said, some missions are going to f- have a different weight to them um, than others because, well, if your character who you love is gone, they're not here to be on this side of the argument. Well, you're you don't really maybe care about that side of the argument as much as you would have and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's just fascinating. I agree that it, it can potentially undercut the power of yeah, the true the Genophage mission. If Morden is dead, then the heroic sacrifice at the end is this new character named Paddock Wicks, who you have no <laughs> connection to. So there's definitely like really key moments that are undercut by that everybody can die system. On the flip side, I was so blown away in Mass Effect 3 by the amount of variables they brought into that game and how those variables aren't just they don't result in kind of random outcomes like there there are real consequences that make sense in the story world and for the characters and i think cure the genophage mission is a really great example of that where you know people assume morden has to die in that mission but there is a way for him to live and it's because you can talk him out of curing the genophage if 
Rex is dead if he died in Mass Effect 1. And if in Mass Effect 2, you made a choice in Morden's loyalty mission to not save Genophage data, Eve dies, <laughs> who's like the hope for the future of the Krogan. And so you can justifiably say, like, maybe we should not cure the Genophage right now because the current leader of the Krogan is this bloodthirsty warlord maybe it actually is going to be worse to cure the genophage at this moment. And Morden can agree with you. And and those are results of all these variables from the first two games. And I really like respect them for like bothering to do that in Mass Effect 3. And people, yeah, there's a lot of complaints about Mass Effect 3 that I we don't have to get into about, <laughs> you know, the, the very, very little, you know, last moments of the game not feeling like they paid off the whole trilogy. But to me, the entire game is paying off the whole trilogy because every one of these core story missions can have radically different outcomes based on your choices throughout the entire series. Uh, so I, I just remember playing Mass Effect 3 and just continually being blown away by how much was being taken into account and how emotionally satisfying so many of the payoffs were. Once again, I, I imported a game where all, all, most of my favorite characters were still alive, so I did get to have all those cathartic moments. It would be frustrating to play the game and not have some of those. But yeah, just I, I, I still am amazed at what they accomplished with Mass Effect 3 as a whole. Yeah, I like I didn't have Morden, and so I feel like you know mm. that the cure the genophage mission had less emotional impact on me. Like what you brought up a moment ago, Mark, this idea of they go so hard on Mass Effect Two that it really limits kind of what they can do for Mass Effect Three. And I think, like you're saying, Alex, they they managed to do a lot of really great stuff with it, so it's it's just that much more impressive. But it it was this really I I feel like that's why I have this kind of meta love hate relationship with mass effect 2 because i feel like they had to sacrifice bigger narrative things to make a single unit of a game that is extremely impactful and great but it at some points feels a little bit like a departure from the greater story it's okay because a lot of middle parts of trilogies kind of do that and kind of go and do their own thing like empire strikes back i think is great because it's a little bit it's not as you know swept up in the good and the bad and the the rebellion and the empire it's like it's more focused on like the character moments and and you point out in your video mark how all the loyalty missions in mass effect 2 are great because they are so focused on the characters it's all building to again this crazy finale like we're talking about that is all about choice. And I'm always fascinated to see is how choice matters just as much in video games as it does in movies and sort of traditional linear media where where character is revealed through the choices that they make. And the more difficult the choice, the deeper the character that's revealed. And in games, it's flipped on the player, right? So like when you are planning the suicide mission, you have to decide, you know, some tech person needs to go into this tube. There's a good chance they'll die. Legion is maybe the best tech person, but also he's my favorite person. So do I put mm. the mission before my personal investment and being forced to choose makes you examine that in yourself and decide that once and for all. And that might be how I lost Morden because I was like, eh, it's, it'll be fine. I want to save this person. You go do that. One of the things I love about the Mass Effect trilogy overall is that Mass Effect 2 does this in the most pointed way. But I think throughout there are these really intense dilemmas where you as a person have to decide and resolve once and for all. How do you feel about this person? How do you feel about this huge thing that's upset the story world, the genophage? Like, what are you willing to do to cure it? And like, I think it's just it's a really cool emotional psychological experience to be put through. 
as well as just really fun to play. So that's my little monologue about Mass Effect. <laughs> when I think about why I love Mass Effect so much, I think about, you know, what did I like? What got me into like science fiction in the first place? And it was Star Trek and Star Wars. And when I was a kid, my mom watched Star Trek The Next Generation and Star Trek Voyager. And so I, I pretty much watched those entire series from start to finish as a child. And I really loved the way those shows were about a crew, like the, this, this ensemble cast. And they were dealing with these difficult, like moral dilemmas and difficult sociopolitical questions. And it wasn't just good versus evil. It was complicated, nuanced, interesting, something like, like a space allegory for, for different things. And I haven't seen another big blockbuster franchise really try to do that until Mass Effect. And, and it was, I haven't really been into anything, any of the recent Star Trek iterations. And so it was, it was like coming home for me to discover Mass Effect. And it was like, oh, you, you've made like a new Star Trek for me as an adult uh, that feels modern and cool and isn't just trying to be a retro thing to call back to the feeling you had with Captain Kirk back in the day. It's, <laughs> it's a new thing. And it has the space opera epic wonderfulness of Star Wars on top of the moral dilemmas and the complex, you know, ensemble cast. I really find that like Mass Effect has done the Star Trek thing in a way that nothing has done since Star Trek. And, and I really love that. And that's why I want more Mass Effect games and more stories in this universe, because I miss that. Like I want, I want more content like that out there, but it, it seems like a lot of sci-fi, especially if you're making a film, we, we don't have the bandwidth anymore for, for those kind of stories. If you're trying to make a film that can play in every market and, you know, succeed in China or whatever, like we, we can't tell Star Trek kind of stories unless it's like the Star Wars skin on top of captain kirk uh, which is kind of what i feel like the new trek incarnations have been well right i think mass effect came out around the time they were doing all the star trek reboots and it was right. clear that film cinema uh sci-fi didn't have room for this kind of thoughtful science fiction you know quandaries and explorations it was let's make it into an action movie which is fun yeah which is fun but that's what makes mass effect so special is that it, it does have time to give you the fun and action, but also think deeply about these kind of science fiction dilemmas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to go around and say what lessons we're going to take from the Mass Effect trilogy. Mark, what, what's your main lesson or takeaway that you're, you're t- pulling from the Mass Effect trilogy? Um, well, the interesting thing is, is, since I made that video, I've been thinking more about this sort of question of who's in charge in a game since then. So playing The Last of Us Part Two, don't worry, no spoilers, but there are moments in that game where, you know, me and Ellie, the main character, are very aligned in what we want to do. And then there are times where she goes and does stuff that I'm like, I don't agree with that. And I've just kind of got to let her do it. And it's like, when am I in charge of the character? or And when are they their own person? And Mass Effect it, uh, sort of opened my eyes to this, this, this question and, and how different games handle it. 
And so I guess sort of the takeaway or the lesson from Mass Effect is like the being mindful about um, how a a protagonist is aligned with the player's goals and views and sensibilities and how that can go very right when they're very well aligned or how that can be disorienting and weird and like not a great experience if they're completely out of line. There were things that were happening in The Last of Us Part Two where I like want the character to fail, and then it's like, no, no, that's game over. We got you, you, you know, the character's got to win in this thing. I'm like, that's not winning to me. <laughs> things like mm-hmm. that. So just this, like, who is in charge is is a really interesting question. I think I think game designers should ask themselves because you know over the many years. We've made games. Uh, it's one of those things that I don't think designers maybe think about so much because it's just sort of an implicit thing of like back in the day, the, the player was always in charge because it wasn't really like a, a story type game. Nowadays, it's very much just like you're watching a movie and the, the characters are like movie characters and you don't have that agency. And so there's it's tugging at different things in interesting ways. Yeah, absolutely. We did a podcast last year with Sage Hyden of the YouTube channel, Just Right, where we talked about The Last of Us Part Two. And yeah, again, no spoilers, but we definitely all, I found it cathartic talking about the frustration that you can feel and how that game almost wields uh, this alignment as a weapon against you sometimes where it feels like it, it knows how much you don't want to press this button but it's going to make you press the button. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's definitely making you feel something. So it's not doing it arbitrarily, but is that what you want to feel? Or what does it mean (laughs) to want to feel? Like, should you always get what you want? Yeah, all of that, I think, opens up a lot of really interesting questions. And so I think that's yeah a great way to say it. Just be mindful of that and what it can do for the player and use it with purpose. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Brian, what about you? Yeah, that actually uh, dovetails into my lesson. which is actually about how games feel personal, like that you had a unique experience. Um, Mark, you made a video that I love on uh, emergent gameplay called the, the Rise of the Systemic Game about games where the designers give you a handful of tools and let you go figure it out, you know? Um, and I was thinking what makes those games so special is not just that that is cool, but that it lets you have an experience that nobody else has had before potentially because you're the first person to figure out that if you strap this thing to that thing it'll do this other thing or you did figure out something that they put there for you but you got that little jolt of i did the two plus two myself like they they put it there but i'm the one who actually put it together whereas if you are playing last of us or old school mario or doom you're usually not getting a personal experience. You're getting an experience that that has been designed for you. They're saying, this is the game that we made. Now you may play it. You may have some little systemic things you can do, or you want to do a challenge run or something like that. But for the most part, they're not designed to be personal to you. But I was, I was realizing that it's actually very similar, something like a player-shaped hole where you get to design and name and dress and whatever your own character, or just something as simple as a st- systemic game that lets you figure out your own little you know, way to do something. They're actually doing the same thing, which is, and this is how we all come back to Mass Effect, is giving you that experience that this is your game. This is your experience. This isn't somebody else's experience that you're playing through. This is now your experience. And that's why we love RPGs is because we get to, you give us all these little things where we maybe are designing a character no one's ever designed before, playing the game in a way that no one has quite done that. And I think that that's why Mass Effect feels so personal to so many people because as of how many different ways they they do this. Um, it's not a systemic type game, but 
you have the normal RPG stuff where you design your own shepherd, you make small choices for them along the way, you decide which companions take on missions, you decide your combat style, sort of like basic RPG stuff. But then you have companions who literally can die or leave your side as a result of your actions. And now, you know, a future mission, as we talked about, is completely different than it would have been otherwise. You make big universe shaping decisions, which actually do do things to the universe and like have long lasting results. Your choices carry over from one game to the other, obviously, which is one of the most unique things about Mass Effect itself. And then you have events that are a result of a choice you made two games ago. And you're like, oh man, I never realized that if I freed, you know, the the queen, she would come back and help me or, you know, whatever. You know, and it's like not even until you look it up that you realize that that thing happened because of a choice you made two games ago. It's not the sort of, do you want to let this person die or that person die? It's, oh, because of these choices that you made along the way, now this thing is happening. And then, I, yeah, so I think that's just why we all leave Mass Effect feeling like we had our own very personal experience with it. But even like with a systemic game, it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to be this space trilogy epic thing. It can just be something as simple as I get to I get these tools where I get to play with them in my own way. But I just think when games allow you to have to feel like you've had a personal experience with them then they just sort of you you think more fondly of them there's plenty of room for last of us and that kind of thing obviously <laughs> like those i'm not saying those games should be more of that i don't want to like decide what ellie looks like or whatever like that no you've you've made your thing make your thing but i just do love how games in so many different ways are able to give us an experience that just feels like it's entirely our own i'm thinking comparing to film obviously and and, and film Everybody watches the same movie. There are some variables like how big the screen was and how the audio was. And did you watch it with people or by yourself? But otherwise, everyone's receiving the same information. And so like the variation on how personal that experience is, is it really the the thing that makes it special? It's more about the content of what you received and how you feel about that content. Mm -hmm. But as you're pointing out, games feel like a personal experience that is what is so special and kind of fun about I think Mass Effect even different from something like The Witcher which is also sort of you know Geralt is authored but you have a little bit of you can kind of point him in different directions and choose who he ends up with and this and that but when I'm talking about my playthrough of The Witcher I feel like I'm more comparing notes with someone if I'm if we're talking about oh did you do that or that oh, okay that's okay cool mm-hmm. but when I'm talking about my Mass Effect playthrough I'm like this is what I went through. Like, yeah. what did you go through? And so it, it is interesting <laughs> how it, it kind of creates this slight difference that does make it a really personal experience. Alex, what about you? Well, yeah, on that note, I think one of the things that makes it such a personal experience uh, are the characters. And when I think about why did Mass Effect Andromeda kind of fall flat for me as a big Mass Effect fan, a huge part of it was that I, I couldn't connect with my crew. Like, I, I didn't find any of them to... I was wasn't really drawn to romance any of them. I wasn't really that invested in their personal histories or backstories. They they didn't really represent these larger story world conflicts the way that the crew in Mass Effect does. You know the way that Tali and Legion and Rex and Morden you you've had these characters that you you become really invested in just because they're great characters and then they also are standing in for this larger story world question. Andromeda with this kind of like side story and the Helios cluster with these kind of weird new aliens that are look like cats kind of i don't know (laughs) that pocket of the story world and those characters in your crew just didn't add up to much for me uh whereas in the mass effect original trilogy you know that was a crew that felt like the star trek next generation crew you know it felt like the 
ensemble cast of the original trilogy of Star Wars. Like you, you really felt a deep connection to at least, you know, half of your crew, I would say. I mean, some characters you, you don't really care about, but you have enough deep connections and you have the authorial ability to fall in love, to have a certain type of friendship, a certain type of relationship with these different characters. And that's ultimately why the games have such a special place in my heart is that lived experience of having like an actual relationship with fictional characters. And so I think ultimately in, in an RPG in this kind of genre, when you're trying to do a really cinematic, emotional RPG experience, like the characters have to be great and they have to have these different archetypes that add up to a really amazing ensemble cast around you. And if you don't have that, like in Mass Effect Andromeda, it's like it doesn't matter that the combat is a really great combat system in that game. I, I'm not invested in the world the same way I was in the original trilogy. And so I, I don't have those fond memories. So yeah, characters, characters, characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of for all, all storytelling. <laughs> all <laughs> but, things. But especially RPG games. Right. Well, and as you pointed out, uh, I think, Michael, um, the fact that so much of these games is about going on missions for these characters and with these characters and that kind of thing. And that was something I didn't appreciate, I don't think, until Mass Effect 2, where I was like, oh, that's what you're doing here. Like, I can, Mm -hmm. I guess, ignore some of the, you know, those loyalty missions or whatever. But if I'm going to try to do all the content in the game, even if I never, ever once go out with Zaid or Thane, I still feel like I spent time with them because I had, I played their little 90 minute story or something and i feel like i got to know them and i I think that how many games you know skyrim you're like here's your new companion like cool go sit in that chair for the rest of time and i'll never see you again because i don't come to this house ever you know and that's not how (laughs) mass effect treats its characters it's very much like invites you to spend lots and lots of time with them and get to know them and talk to them between missions and really feel like you are forming that relationship with them yeah my lesson kind of rolls off of that which is um also about character but you know i've been for the upcoming lessons from the screenplay video about Mass Effect, I've also been looking at Game of Thrones a lot, and I'm going to purposefully be vague about why, because things haven't been pinned down and maybe everything will change. But looking at the character <laughs> design in Game of Thrones, all the characters are connected to big story world things. So kind of like what you were pointing out, Alex, about the, the character design in Mass Effect. You have Garrus, and how you feel about Garrus is important on a personal level and he's written as a three-dimensional compelling character but also you understand who he is in the world of mass effect like you understand that he's a turian and how an allegiance to turians might uh reflect poorly on you know for the krogan who don't like turians and the lesson that i'm kind of noticing is that characters that are also tied to the story world in inextricable ways deepens the the consequences of how you feel about them. And that's kind of what we were talking about in Mass Effect 2, where, you know, you have that simple dilemma of you're in the suicide mission, you need to accomplish this goal, this goal is good, you can send someone you care about, that's maybe the best person, but then you risk losing them. And what is that the decision you want to make? Do you want to prioritize success over your emotional connection, etc. And so having characters rooted in the world such that how you feel about them reflects how you feel about the the greater story and the mechanisms within helps deepen those relationships and and add consequence because like you're saying in andromeda even if they're maybe complex interesting characters in andromeda it doesn't matter how you feel about any of them like i don't care about like i like cora and andromeda but she doesn't like liking her doesn't mean anything in the greater story world whereas like liking Tali or Legion 
is both a personal thing and also helps shape how you feel about the greater story world. Mm -hmm. So it's doing multiple things at once, which I think makes it that much better. Well, I think part of the problem in Andromeda was, for example, Korra, like I think her backstory was like, she used to train with Asari commandos back in the Milky Way. And like, like, cool, okay, that's like, you're interesting because you're a person who trained with Asari. But like, why does that matter now out here in a totally different part of the universe? Right. There's no larger story world question about humans and Asari training together. So it, it felt like more like a generic RPG kind of character where it's like, here, I have a backstory and I as the character have feelings about it. But there's no reason for me to have feelings about it as the player. It's just kind of, you know, it's like I could read about this in the codex entry and that would be fine. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I love about the Mass Effect trilogy is how, yeah, there's there's these sociopolitical conflicts in the story world from the first game that get resolved in the third game. And along the way, all the characters, almost all the characters have a, have a connection to it, whether it's I work for Cerberus, who's part of this pro-human, you know, splinter group, or I'm a biotic and that's got some weird things going on. If you're a human biotic, you're kind of a freak or you were a subject of experiments. Like all of them have a connection to the story world. They're not just their own isolated person with like a random backstory just because they need one. Right. And and I brought up Game of Thrones because all the characters in Game of Thrones are fascinating, but also will shape the goings on of the plot in big ways. So it's the multiple levels at once is always good. They're, they're involved in the Game of Thrones. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, directly. <laughs> Awesome. Mark, what have you been playing recently or, or watching or listening to? Uh, a recent movie I, I really uh, enjoyed was called uh, Shiver Baby. Mm. And it's about a, uh, a woman who attends, uh, a young woman who attends a shiver, and which is kind of a normal thing, but then she has to deal with like her really overbearing grandparents. And then like an old ex-girlfriend is there. And this guy she hooked up with, he appears with his wife and baby, and it fits into a, uh, a genre of film I love, which I just call anxiety-inducing cinema, where you just <laughs> like it just feels like you're having a heart attack the entire time you're watching like Uncut Gems and Krisher and Green Room and stuff. You're just like, mm. oh, this is so awkward and confrontational, <laughs> and it's like worse than a horror movie. I, they're just like so intense, um, which is doesn't sound fun, but I really enjoy it. So uh, yeah, Shiver Baby, I liked it a lot. Nice. nice. Yeah, those movies stress me out. I try to avoid <laughs> them, but I can also understand why that they're undeniably compelling. So, yeah. yeah. Brian, what about you? What have you been watching or playing? So back when we did our Last of Us 2 podcast, I mentioned XCOM and I have since played XCOM 2 and the spinoff uh, Chimera Squad. That's not going to be my thing, but I did want to say like I do recommend XCOM 1 and 2 and Chimera Squad's a weird spinoff which I enjoyed once I got into it, but I'm very happy to have like played those games now. So just to sort of a coda to my previous recommendation of like XCOM 2, also awesome. But because I have spoken about them, I'm here today to bring the good word of Bridge Constructor Portal, which is uh, there's a series of games called Bridge Constructor where they give you the tools to build a bridge and you have to get a car or group of cars from one side to the other. And, you know, all of your ballasts and stuff have to be in the right place so that it does the weight doesn't break everything but then they teamed up with valve and got ellen mclean to to voice glados and they literally just did bridge constructor but now there's portals and in the dlc you can actually place the portals and in the main game the portals are there and you have to decide you have to figure out how to interact with them and it is that sort of systemic thing we were talking about where sometimes i'll finish a puzzle and go there's no way 
that's how they wanted me to do it. But I figured, <laughs> but I did it. I was like, what happens if I do this? Oh, I got it. All right. But then after you get one car across, you sort of complete the level. But then to get like a check mark on the level, you have to get a full convoy across of like eight or 10 cars. And that's where you really see how badly you screwed up. <laughs> Because you're like, I just barely got the one car across, but now that there's 10, forget about it because they're going, they're flying all over the place. They're flying into each other. It's a mess. But yeah, I loved it. And it's, it's nice to have a game that you can sort of just put on and kind of chill with, uh, like a, a puzzle game like that versus most of the games that I enjoy where it's like, okay, I got to sit down and focus on this for three hours and it's going to stress me out and I have to think about my inventory. <laughs> it's nice to, to have those games where you can kind of put on and just mess around with for a little bit and then turn it off whenever you feel like it. So yeah, Bridge Constructor Portal, check it out. Awesome. Alex, what about you? It's interesting you mentioned that, yeah, there's these games that take hours to get into and learn the inventory system and all that. Witcher 3, when I was having to play that for our story mode video, yeah, I, I originally resisted Witcher 3 because I was just not wanting to learn everything I need to know to play it. And a game I played recently that was the opposite of that was um, Miles Morales on PS5. Mm. I, I finally got around to playing through it. There's still a little bit of a learning curve and, you know, just all the button mashing combos. Once you, I got into it, it was just such a smooth, lovely, slick experience. And it was just nice to play a simple, fun action, just swinging through New York, 60 frames per second on my PS5. It was just lovely. So <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoyed just kind of powering through that game and just having kind of a relaxing video game experience. Of, uh, it's a lot of fun. Nice. You have to be careful saying you have a PS5. People are coming for you. It's going to break down my door. (laughs) So I've been continuing my playthrough of Disco Elysium, which is a fascinating game that I'm having trouble getting through, not because I don't like it, but just because it's so mentally taxing Mm. and and emotionally taxing. Mm. And uh, there's a a shot of it even in uh, your video, Mark, Commanding Shepherd, where you're sort of, I think when you're talking about, yeah, just the all the different permutations of relationship that the player can have with the protagonist of the game. And this game is kind of actively messing with that in ways that I, I feel like I can't talk about because I don't want to spoil it. Because just from the opening moments, you're thrown into an experience that is unlike any other game experience that I've had as far as who am I? Who are you that I'm talking to game and you are talking to me? But as are you talking to me as the person com- controlling this person? Or are you talking to the person and how the game continues to play with that meta way that also sits into the world of the story is just really fascinating. And so yeah, watching commanding shepherd and and having this been i've just been thinking about it a lot while playing it and and it's also just a fun kind of murder mystery detective thing that i get sucked into but then overwhelmed with the existential dread because there's a lot of that in in the game uh, could i just say yeah so it's i mean disco elysium is an interesting game in that it plays with that idea of like you know who's in control of this protagonist and they use a technique that's been used in a few RPGs. I remember, uh, I think it was Planescape Torment had this as well, where your character is like, forgets who the hell they are. And so you kind of get to build that character back up, mm. even though they are a person with a name and a role and they're in this world, like you get to choose what type of cop you are and your political leanings and stuff, because it's a nice sort of conceit of just like, well, I don't remember. So I guess I'll have to make it up from here. And then you get to be sort of in charge of that. Right. And that it's in this kind of alternate universe world kind of adds this other interesting layer where you're given these options to pursue this direction or that direction. And 
sometimes I'll do something and be like, oh, wait, am I racist all of a sudden? <laughs> Whoops, I didn't realize that that's... But like, it's the character that you're kind of stepping into is also disoriented and trying to make sense of this world. So there's just a lot of meta things happening at once that I think are really cool. Uh, awesome. Well, this has been our conversation about Mass Effect. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really fun to have you here. Thank you for making excellent videos. I hope you continue to do so. Uh, I look forward to whatever you whatever you have coming next. Is there a Disco Elysium video ever going to happen? Uh, maybe. Never say never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you to our patrons for supporting the show and making it possible. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editor, Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker. I've been joined today by Brian Pittner, Alex Kairos, and Mark Brown. We'll put all of our Twitter handles in the show notes so you can reach out and say hi. And the link to Mark's episode on Commanding Shepard and his channel will also be in the show notes. Definitely check it out. If you have not, it's great. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.